America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And if it sounds a little bit different than uh, it usually does when we uh, broadcast this show all across the uh, the country, uh, well, that's because it's a different situation. I mean, after... <laughs> I, after 28 years of doing a radio, uh, this is something I've never done before. I am actually driving my car. I am on the way to uh, the studio uh, from where I normally do the show at my home, my home studio. I am about to pull into a parking lot, and I will be there by the microphone in a moment. But we have such a terrific show today with so many outstanding guests who are counting on us being there, that we can't miss this opportunity. Now, uh, what I have to do now is find the <laughs> the uh, uh, control that opens the parking garage. And uh, this is well, this is this is an incredibly bizarre. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm trying very hard to make sure that we don't. Here, here we go. Magic. The gate is opening. There it goes. We're about to park and then walk into the studio and go to a proper mark, uh, microphone. We have Andrew McCarthy on the show, whose commentary about the testimony yesterday by Cassidy Hutchinson was, I think, the most probing, the most important, uh, the most fair and authoritative of anyone's con uh, contribution. Uh, Andy, of course, is a veteran prosecutor, and he's looking at this like the way that a prosecutor would look at the persecution of a grand jury and taking the idea that uh, you actually have that you actually have Liz Cheney playing the role of prosecutor well then uh, what that uh, seems to indicate are we still connected here we are okay that um uh, that that basically what you have is uh, Liz Cheney playing the role of prosecutor. She made some big scores yesterday, but she also made some crucial mistakes. That's coming up now with the whole debate about who do you trust concerning uh, the uh, what happened in the SUV. Uh, it had been in some accounts described as the Beast. The Beast is a different vehicle, specially reinforced vehicle. This was not that. This was an SUV. In any event, we uh, we also have on uh, one of the experts about Finland and uh, Sweden, two new members of NATO. What was it that happened that allowed that to come about, and how significant is that in terms of actually impacting uh, our position and the future of the war in Ukraine? And then there is a devastating report about the dangers of marijuana and being involved with heightened death, psychosis, and much more, and being covered up by the marijuana industry and what people could call big weed. Um, in any event, we will be covering all of that on the MedVed show today. Uh, and uh, also giving you a recap of the, the current hysteria about the abortion issue and how that is uh, being misled by 
many people, led particularly by Elizabeth Warren. But it's it's true for so much of um, what constitutes the mainstream media. We will also be able to uh, take your calls. I've heard uh, some feedback about people who are concerned about the destruction of the so-called wall of separation between church and state that um, uh, falls because of the uh, decision by the Supreme Court of the United States that says that a football coach who is not acting in a classroom capacity at a football game after the game is uh, somehow allowed to... um, uh, to uh, lead some of his players and students in prayer. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. (laughs) uh, This is probably one of the most raggedy openings uh, ever for a show, but I'm now in the building. Yes, Elvis is in the building. Uh, having, (laughs) Having actually driven here safely, uh, I'm glad to say, and now walking into a familiar studio, and here I am. Doesn't that sound better? Um, it certainly makes me feel better. The other thing we're going to be talking about is uh, what is going on in uh, California with the governor of California. Why is he taking out political ads in the state of Florida? Is this a plan by uh, California to annex the, uh, the, the government and the state of Florida? By the way, this is now working. Everything, okay. This is, as I said, I've been doing radio for a while. It's the first time we ever tried that. And uh, fortunately, no motorist was harmed. Uh, not the host or anyone else. Um, okay. First of all, there is this. Uh, I, we were talking about the controversy concerning what happened in the SUV that was transporting the president on January 6th from the ellipse where he delivered his very controversial speech arousing his supporters. Uh, he wanted to go with them to the Capitol building. But here's the way ABC News covered the pushback from the Secret Service. Listen. The Secret Service so far is not commenting on specifics, but they just informed me that it would like to respond, the Secret Service would like to respond under oath. Two sources familiar with the investigation confirmed that President Trump had requested to go to the Capitol on January 6th and that the Secret Service refused due to security concerns. One of those sources telling me that the president did return to the vehicle after his speech on the morning of January 6th and asked Agent Robert Engel if he could go to the Capitol. Engel said something to the effect of that being unwise or dangerous and that the motorcade was going to take the president back to the White House. A source close to the Secret Service just told me to expect that the Secret Service will push back against any allegation of an assault against an agent or President Trump reaching for the steering wheel. Okay, uh, the origins of that reaching for the steering wheel account were hearsay, and she made it very clear, Cassidy Hutchinson, in her testimony yesterday, that it was hearsay. In other words, she had heard about this episode which involved a Secret Service agent, a head of the detail, named Robert Engel, Bobby Engel, he had told the story to uh, Robert uh, Tony Arnado, who was uh, the deputy chief of staff in the White House staff, 
and he had told it allegedly to Cassidy Hutchinson. Now, somewhere in this game of telephone, it obviously got missed up. Uh, I believe the Secret Service, I think everybody should, that it probably was not the case that President Trump reached from the back seat up to grab the steering wheel, allegedly, and then later when he his arm was pushed away, uh, he grabbed, uh, according to the account, uh, Robert Engel, head of this detail, who was not driving, grabbed him by the neck or something of that nature. Uh, what they are very, very clear about is there was no assault. Um, I know that they say that the um, in the Secret Service, you're supposed to uh, take one from uh, a president. And I think this was Trevor Noah's line, isn't it? And with this account, here was a Secret Service agent who was not taking one for the president. He was taking one from the president. Uh, that is not exactly the case. No agents were harmed in this difficulty. So Trump didn't go for the throat. But uh, is the testimony that was delivered so dramatically yesterday, uh, it, did that actually go for Trump's throat? We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Medved. He's a very smart man. He is a very respected man and he's very respected at the top of the line. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. And distinct privilege to introduce to you my friend, Michael Medved. Isn't it kind of sad that um, the way things have worked out, that's uh, Vice President Pence, of course, and he was not introducing me, though I do consider myself the Vice President's friend. I know him a little bit. And we've known each other since long before he became, I mean, I've known him longer than Donald Trump has, <laughs> so, and considerably longer, and... Um, I don't think there's been any real problem in our relationship, though clearly the Trump-Pence relationship is not great at the moment. And, um, in fact, uh, President Trump threatened Mike Pence, and, and this is according to all accounts, it is not controversial, that when they had a meeting, dramatic meeting, on the morning of uh, January 6th, uh, and President Trump made the last-ditch pitch for Mike Pence to basically turn over to the election, to overturn the election results, and to send uh, slates of electors back to the states to deny those electors to Joe Biden. And Mike Pence said, and he was right, of course, that under the Constitution and under the laws of the country, he had no right to do that. That was a completely extra-legal action. And he said, well, if, if you don't do this, you're not going to be my friend anymore. And uh, which is kind of plaintive and also like a five-year-old. And speaking of like a five-year-old, throwing food against the wall. Uh, this was the other piece of evidence that was given yesterday in the testimony by Cassidy Hutchinson. And, uh, <laughs> and apparently there are a bunch of people, not uh, named particularly, who have come forward, who have said, yeah, they've been in the White House and the president... Uh, on occasion, uh, throws plates, breaks plates, 
uh, throws stuff against the wall and at people. And even on occasion, he has been known to pull a tablecloth. And I know that when you're a magician with magical powers, you're able to pull that tablecloth and all the dishes stand on the table. No, this was pulling a tablecloth so that everything goes crashing to the floor. In any event, the one thing about that story is uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, and no one has disputed this, uh, came into the room after President Trump had thrown the tantrum and he had reacted to the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, who had uh, just announced to the Associated Press in an interview that uh, the Justice Department had looked and looked and looked and they found no evidence of election fraud which was different from the response that President Trump wanted, and he responded to that news of Bill Barr saying that by uh, throwing over his plate, and there was ketchup on the wall, and uh, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson said she stayed to help the valet wipe the, <laughs> the ketchup off the wall in the White House mess, as they were, uh, as has been described. In any event, it seemed to me that she will undoubtedly be doing a book coming up and a title she could use, and I will offer this for free. Uh, the title she could use is Wiping Ketchup Off the Wall. No, I think that would fit. I mean, it gets, gets people interested. Uh, I think people are interested enough as it is. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, there is this. It is breaking news. R. Kelly... Uh, remember him, a very talented musician, by the way, and uh, and performer, and very popular, but he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. That's more than Jelaine Maxwell. Uh, Jelaine Maxwell does not have the personal I- involvement with brut- brutality and, and rape that uh, that R. Kelly has been convicted of. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison after being found guilty of all counts of racketeering and sex trafficking against him at his Brooklyn federal trial last year. Prior to sentencing, seven of Kelly's victims addressed the court to share impact statements and speak directly to their abuser. Uh, the disgraced R&B star was sentenced to 30 years in prison, convicted on all nine counts against him. A U.S. District Court Judge Ann Donnelly handed down the sentence in a Brooklyn courtroom after several of Kelly's victims angrily addressed the convicted sex offender at the hearing. You degraded me, humiliated me, and broke my spirit, said a woman who went by Jane Doe number 2. I wished I would die because of how you degraded me. Uh, Jelaine Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison for sex trafficking minor girls for uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know if she was implicated directly or not in, um, in, in the sex trafficking charges against Prince Andrew, the son of uh, Her Majesty the Queen. The um, Meanwhile, Peter Anderson, Peter... Alexander, pardon me, of NBC News is saying a source close to the Secret Service tells me, him meaning Peter Alexander of NBC, that Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver are both prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. Okay, 
the one thing I was mentioning before in the <laughs> I was still in the car uh, that there were elements of uh, what happened yesterday that showed a, a great skill and uh, I think organization and substance in terms of presenting this case, which really is a case against President Trump, and then some stupid mistakes. And one of the stupid mistakes is they have already cooperated with uh, uh, national security uh, official Tony Ornato. Tony Ornato is the deputy White House chief of staff. And uh, Robert Engel, who is the super secret service agent, both of whom were mentioned in the story, which obviously, uh, testifying under oath, Cassidy Hutchinson believed to be true, but it was a secondhand, thirdhand story because it was something that was observed by uh, Bobby Engel and was reportedly disclosed to uh, Tony Ornato. And uh, this is, um, uh, this obviously didn't happen. In other words, what may have happened and what we're going to try to find out about is the argument of Trump actually wanting to go together with the, uh, uh, the rioters, the people who were marching to the Capitol building. And uh, the, the question that I think needs to be asked and needs to be answered and should be answered by the president, he has done some response. He did four different, uh, there aren't tweets anymore, but they are statements through his Save America Foundation. But uh, the president has responded. What he hasn't talked about is, okay, if he wanted to go with the marchers and the demonstrators to the Capitol building, what was he planning to do once he got there? Was he going to speak again? He's president of the United States. If you're marching with a crowd of several thousand people into the Capitol building, what, are you going to occupy the building? What? What did he have in mind? We'll be back with that and more with Andy McCarthy, best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review, veteran prosecutor, coming up on The Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. Outrageous. The Michael Medved. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. This is The Michael Medved Show. And on The Michael Medved Show, it is always a privilege to welcome back Andy McCarthy. He is a best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review, a Fox News contributor, and uh, after the testimony yesterday uh, by Cassidy Hutchinson that lasted almost exactly two hours, uh, there was a great deal of reaction and a great deal of uh, analysis by various people. By far the best and most insightful was the analysis provided in uh, an outstanding piece by Andy McCarthy and his on-air commentary on Fox. Uh, where Annie McCarthy said basically Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony against Trump is devastating and saying that it really does change everything. Now, has that changed back in your estimation, Andy, now with the information that there are uh, two, uh, maybe now even three eyewitnesses to the alleged wheel-grabbing, neck-grabbing incident involving the President of the United States uh, people who are willing to swear under oath that they were there, uh, which Cassidy Hutchinson was not, and that didn't happen. 
does that discrepancy change everything back and invalidate the rest of her testimony? No, Michael, I, I don't think it does at all. And I think for the reason that you got at uh, at the end of your question there, which is she wasn't there. You know, she wasn't there and she said she wasn't there. And she made clear in her testimony that um, she was relating what had been reported to her by the White House operations chief, who was the, the head of security, this guy, uh, Tony Arnato, And she had reason to think it was in a, an accurate version of events, not only because it was coming from somebody in a high-ranking position uh, in the White House, but also because Bobby Engel, who was the uh, Secret Service agent who uh, she alleged had had this, she heard had had this skirmish with Trump, he was standing there while Arnato was explaining all of this to her. So, you know, it could, two things can be true, right? It could be that it didn't happen the way she described and that she accurately related what was related to her. And I think in a trial, it would probably be much ado about nothing because the likelihood is she wouldn't be allowed to testify about that anyway. You know, they'd have to call witnesses who had direct firsthand knowledge if that turned out to be relevant to the trial. I think much more important yesterday was her testimony about the things she actually saw and heard. Uh, And if there's criticism to go around, I'm going to hold my fire on that because we don't have all the facts yet. But I think it's more the committee than anything else. The committee interviewed Bobby Engel before they decided to, you know, put Ms. Hutchinson on in this big public uh, forum. So, you know, if they had reason to think that her testimony was kind of sideways of his, then that's really on the committee to, to, you know, why did they either ask her those questions or not confront her with uh, Engel's contradictory version, if he gave them a contradictory version, which we don't even know. Okay, and one of the things that we also are going to find out is whether the, the substance of that particular story is uh, true or not. And the substance of the story is not the president grabbing a steering wheel or grabbing, laying hands on one of his uh, secret service detail. The substance is that the president was arguing in the SUV not to go back to the White House, but to actually go up to the Capitol building. There's no one who has contradicted that aspect of the account yet, is there? Not that I know of. And, uh, you know, again, we don't know what testimony the committee has heard. But I thought, Michael, it's very telling that you've read the same reports I've read today. And they're very uh, they seem to be very precise and narrow about what the Secret Service is pushing back on, which is the the assault or the, you know, the physical altercation aspect of it. The idea that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol seems, uh, from what I can detect, uh, there seems to be uniformity on that, uh, and it is obviously the most important part because, uh, you know, what we learned yesterday is is that minutes before, literally like two minutes before he went on uh, stage when he took the podium at the ellipse, he was told that this mob was armed to the teeth, including with uh, with firearms that they were very concerned about, and he said, according to Hutchinson. Um, you know, number one, they're not a threat to me. They're my people, meaning he understood that they may be a threat to other people, but he, they weren't a threat to him. And he wanted them to hear him and then march to the Capitol. And then it turns out he wanted to lead them in the march to the Capitol. 
And I, I, I point this out simply because there's a federal statute that makes it a crime to do or to aid and abet the um, intimidation of federal officials by the imminent uh, threat of harm. Um, and, you know, if lethal weapons are involved, it's a pretty serious felony. So you, to me, that was very relevant testimony. Well, again, the the big question here, and this is why at one point or another, the former president is going to have to answer some questions about what went on on January 6th and whether it's at a trial or um, uh, anywhere else. They, he, if if they do impanel a grand jury at some point, uh, is it would it be likely that they get some statement to Trump? What I'm t- from Trump. What I'm talking about here is what did he have in mind? Because he had just told this audience and a worldwide television audience that he was going to be marching alongside them, and we're going to go up Pennsylvania Avenue together, and we're going to march the Capitol together. What did he have in mind when he got to the Capitol? Well, I, 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 pres- I, I presume. The best spin on it from him, from his perspective, Michael, would have been that he was going to lead a peaceful protest and thereby uh, impress and influence members of Congress with um, how how politically damaging it would be for them uh, to to uh, count the electoral votes. Uh, and not object and at least push for more investigation of the supposed fraud that had occurred. I mean, that to me, that's the best um, spin for him. I think the problem with the story is, as we heard yesterday, it, this was not going to be a peaceful protest. I mean, he said the word peaceful, and that would be very relevant if you were going to charge him with uh, incitement, which is like the criminalization of speech itself. But what prosecutors usually do in trials is they use speech as evidence. You know, they don't. It's not that the words themselves are criminal, but you know, when you, uh, if you have a mafia don in a in the club and you you hear him uh, on tape tell the the button man go whack that guy, the the mafia don doesn't come in get to come in and say, well, I had a First Amendment right to say that. You know, that's that's not a, it's not a defense because you, you use that those uh, words as evidence of what his intent was and 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 motive and. Uh, connect him to the thing that's actually a crime, which in in my example would be like a murder conspiracy. Here, you have a situation where um, Congress was obstructed and they were intimidated, and the president seems to have urged that and pushed it along as much as he could, which is a problem. Yeah, the, the, the question that I would wonder about is that if Trump had been marching at the head or as a part of this group of thousands of people up to the Capitol building, would they have been obligated to let him in? In other words, the Capitol building wasn't open that day for visitors. Uh, and what happens if the president of the United States comes to the Capitol and they're in the middle of basically uh, certifying the electoral votes for the election? Uh, what does uh, Nancy, who would even get to decide whether the president gets let into the Capitol or not? Would Nancy Pelosi decide that or would. Mike Pence, who was presiding over a joint session of Congress, uh, have to determine that. It, uh, it creates for all sorts of interesting questions. Many more coming up with uh, Andy McCarthy. And uh, we will be right back. 
The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's open, it's expansive, it's welcoming, it's filled with life. This is The Michael Medved Show. Can I just say that you do more for radio than what high definition will ever do for television. This is The Michael Medved Show. And on The Medved Show, one of the reasons I uh, actually love to be able to turn to Andrew McCarthy on uh, legal matters is because he provides not only uh, an experienced and savvy and very well-schooled insight into the law and the way that our legal system works, particularly the prosecutorial aspects of it, but uh, he also has some political savvy, and not all constitutional scholars have any political savvy at all. One uh, demonstration of of total lack of savvy, and this is on something different from uh, what we're talking about before, which is the Hutchinson testimony and President Trump. This is the other big controversy in the country, which involves a great deal of uh, great many legal issues. And that, of course, on the uh, Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, Elizabeth Warren, who before she became a full-time senator and full-time politician, was a full-time law professor at Harvard Law School. Elizabeth Warren has a subheading in her piece in the New York Times where she says the fight continues, this about the issue of abortion, and then she says a radical minority cannot be allowed to overrule the will of the people. And the question here is we don't determine the will of the people in the United States by polling. We determine it by elections. Uh, what are the elections specifically by which the people expressed their will to make abortion on demand the law of the land? That's a great point, Michael, because, you know, I think when people get asked, uh, and this is a large, a large part of this is the Democrats messaging, but when they get asked uh, whether they approve of Roe, um, you know, a majority of people generally say they do, but what they mean by that is not what Roe means. You know, what they mean by it is generally that they'd like to see uh, abortion be uh, very rare and legally available for a limited time uh, during uh, term. And what, what Roe uh, actually allows is, as it was interpreted, uh, abortion at any time, at any point, uh, for any reason, up until the time of delivery. And I think when most people hear that, they say, no, well, no, that's not what I'm for at all. And what they're going to find about Dobbs is that they are now going to be permitted to have the abortion regime that they would design for themselves rather than uh, on demand any time up until delivery. Uh, and I think already we're seeing that people – realize that um, the sky didn't actually fall uh, and all that's really happened here. This is not, you know, it's the big difference between uh, people like Warren and progressive judges and constitutional conservative judges. Constitutional conservative judges are not imposing outcomes based on their policy preferences. All that the court has done here is step back and said, uh, this is a democratic republic. You get to govern yourselves. You get to decide what kind of abortion regime you want to live under. And this whole question of the will of the people, it, it, it troubles me because when 
when people are saying they want a certain law that has been enacted by Mississippi or by Texas or by Florida, for that matter, uh, they want that law declared unconstitutional. They're not talking about the will of the people. They're talking. Right. They're talking about uh, the legal requirement that the law be overturned, and that legal requirement in Roe is not based on statute law or constitutional text or anything other than the will of the seven justices who voted for it back in 73. That's exactly right. And if if Senator Warren is so confident that the will of the people is with her, I don't know what the problem is, because now this is all going back to the states and the people will be able to vote. And if if her uh, policy preferences are as popular as she says they are, uh, she should be delighted. Well, it's it's also uh, there are a number of states. I think California most prominently, but I think Nevada is trying the same thing now, who are offering to set up uh, shop as sanctuary states. I know Governor Inslee here in the state of Washington is trying to set up the state of Washington as an abortion sanctuary state, and actually with offers to pay for the travel of out-of-state citizens to get their abortions in some of the states where it's still going to be very readily available. Um, Do you really assume that that would be popular, uh, basically spending thousands of dollars to transport people into state to get abortions? I I don't think it would be popular uh, in the abstract. Now, we're in this weird period of time post-COVID where the federal government threw so much money at the states that a lot of them are, are simply a wash in, in funds. So maybe they can do stuff like this and, uh, you know, people won't feel the pinch. But I think ordinarily, um, it, you know, it's one thing to have a, a progressive uh, uh, piety that says, uh, you know, we want to make abortion available to everyone. So if you want to come from out of state, come on in from out of state and we'll pay for it. It'd be quite another thing if there was only a finite amount of money in the budget and, you had to, you know, deflect uh, funding to women from out of state to get their abortions that was being taken away from people in the state for things like education and, and other essentials. So I, I'd be very surprised if that was popular over time. Uh, at the moment, they may be able to implement this kind of stuff uh, without people paying too much attention to it because they simply are. It's a weird time when there's all this money floating around. You are a legal scholar, and you certainly know the history of the court. There's lots of conversation today uh, from people like Pramila Jayapal in the House and Elizabeth Warren in the Senate to uh, move, move as quickly as they can to get rid of the filibuster and then to move to create perhaps as many as five new justices of the Supreme Court, court packing. What's the best and most telling uh, common sense argument against that change in our judicial system? That it would turn the Supreme Court into a legislature. It would no longer be a judicial institution. And basically what we would be telling the court is we need to change the institution radically because we don't like the outcomes that it's providing. And if the outcomes are based on the rule of law, uh, it shouldn't be a matter of whether we like or dislike what the court has done. The law is the law, and if the if you don't 
like what the law says. You try to change it, but the court's job is simply to tell us what the law is and interpret it, not to impose a uh, an outcome. If now what we're saying to the court is we will radically change you as an institution unless you give us outcomes that we progressives like, well, that's not a court anymore. It's a super legislature because they're not deciding cases on the basis of the law. They're deciding cases on the basis of political pressure. And if what, you, if what we're going to say now is that that's proper, then we don't have courts anymore. And, uh, and by the way, the job of the court, and I think it's um, uh, Justice, Chief Justice Marshall who was uh, associated with, with this concept, it's the job of the courts to determine what the law is, not what right. the law should be. Uh, exactly. that, and, and again, there are all, all kinds of state legislatures that are going to determine what they believe the law should be regarding regulation of abortion in uh, all of the uh, 50 states. Uh, there are a lot of folks who are believing this will be the crucial issue that will bring the Democrats back from uh, destruction's door and, and actually turn millions of votes for November of 2022. Your guess? I doubt it, Michael, because I think the left overplayed their hand here with the leak. I think, you know, if, if Alito's opinion had hit us like a bolt from the blue the other day, um, that would have been one thing. But as it happened, we had almost two months to explain to people that, no, it wasn't true that if the court got rid of Roe and Casey, that it was making abortion illegal in the United States. It was simply returning the issue to the states. And I think you can already see that um, what the left thought was going to be this, um, uh, you know, this explosion of reaction has actually been pretty muted compared to what it might have been uh, if, if the decision had just hit with no warning. Yeah, I think they're still planning some days of rage up ahead which are not something to look forward to. But I do look forward to my next conversation with Andy McCarthy. He is a Fox News contributor, uh, an editor at National Review, and all-around resource on behalf of this greatest nation on God's green earth.